We're, we're in this series called How to Have the Good Life, and we're taking a look at six questions. Four weeks ago, we took a look at the first question is, why is it important to know what we believe? And we talked about the myth of sincerity. Reality is this, that beliefs determine our behavior, and so it's very important. Our, our vision determines our values. And so it's very important that you and I understand what we believe and why we believe it, and not just be sincere. Then we took a look at the question of what is truth, and, and we, we, we took a glimpse at um, a postmodernism, relativism that we live in. There is truth out there, and we operate in that way all the time. And then last week, we took a look at the third question, which is who am I and where did I come from? And we looked at the implications of knowing that we have been custom designed by God, that we are not just chance, but that we have a purpose. Today, we're going to take a look at this question. How did this world get so messed up? How did it? Well, the Bible says that sin entered, or that, that it is the result of sin, and as a result of sin, evil entered into the world. Now, what is sin? Well, it's any attitude or action against God. When we think or do something against God, it brings sin, that's sin, and it brings evil into the world. Take a look at this verse out of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Sin came into the world because of what one man did, and with sin came death. And I might add, it only came into Adam, but folks, we have continued it through ourselves. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is not a single person in all the earth who is always good and never sins. I have never met a pers person who has declared that they are perfect. Would anyone like to do that right now? No, the fact of the matter is we've all sinned, have we not? We have all fallen. Does that mean the Pope has fallen? Oh, absolutely. Does that mean Billy Graham has fallen? Yes. Does that mean that you are fallen? Oh, I know, I'm a pastor of a church. Does that mean that I've fallen? No. We've all fallen, right? And the Bible uses three types of words for our wrongdoing. It uses sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin stands for the thing. Sin means we've fallen short of God's standard. Transgression means we've gone beyond what God wants. Uh, iniquity means we've been indifferent to God's truth. And, and the, these three words are mentioned all in one chapter in Psalms 32 where David really confesses his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He, he says, you know what, I've acknowledged my sin to you. In other words, I've acknowledged that I've fallen short. I've not covered my iniquities. In other words, I've, I've declared that, that I've been indifferent to your laws, and I have confessed my transgressions. I've confessed how far I've gone beyond what you've said, and you have forgiven me of my guilt. You see, the question that comes up as you and I consider having this, this life, the good life, in a messed up world, the question that comes up is why do we choose to ignore God's truth? 
Why is it that we choose to do our own thing? Well, there's, it's a threefold answer. It's nature, nurture, and it's culture. First, it's nature. Folks, we just have a natural tendency within ourselves just to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, and as often as we want to do it. Here's a question for parents. Parents, who taught your kids to say no to you? I know who did in our family. My wife, Cheryl. <laughs> no, it's just natural. They just automatically want to be what they want to be and do what they want to do. The second one is nurture. The fact is we've learned to sin as a result of some good role models around us, like our parents. And the third one is our culture. Culture is always wanting to pull us down, and this may shock you, and never wanting to pull us up. You see, culture really doesn't want you to be a better person. It wants you to be a selfish person. That's, look at the advertisements, okay? We do it all for you. So why we choose to sin, and as a result of sin, evil coming into this world is because of our nature, it's because of our nurture, and it's because of our culture. The fact is, we have all blown it. So what's the result? Well, the result is this. Will you write this down? We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken planet. In other words, everything on planet Earth has been damaged. It's been injured by the entry of sin into this world. Before sin entered into this world, this place was a perfect place. God created it perfect. But because of sin, this world has fallen. Now, I want you to think about this. I know we've heard this in, in talking with other people where something has happened in our world and they've said something like this. Why is this happening? Why is this happening now? What in the world is going on in our world? Do you know that question, as they raise that, is a revelation of their belief system? They don't understand that we live in a broken world, on a broken, in a broken planet. This isn't heaven. This is earth. And so what are the implications of sin? And as a result of sin, evil coming in to this world. Well, it is multifaceted. There are natural, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual implications. There is natural implications. There are disasters and there are deformities. You see, nature doesn't always act in a rational way. When people ask, why are there droughts? Why are there tornadoes? Why are there tsunamis? Why are there hurricanes? The answer really is pretty simple. This planet is broken. It's fallen. It's not a perfect place. Take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. Creation was condemned to lose its purpose. You see, the original purpose of creation was to be in harmony with God and with man. And it's not. Why? I love the Romans 8.20 contemporary English version. It says, because creation is confused now. You see, when you and I see commercials on TV of the Shriners Hospital, and we see these kids 
who are deformed. My wife hates that commercial because they says, I'm disabled. I'm disabled. I'm disabled. I like it because I think they're communicating hope, okay? But nevertheless, I like it as well because it reminds me that this is not a perfect place, that we have genes that are broken. Our bodies are broken. When you and I see deformities, when we see Siamese twins that are conjoined at the head and have all these kind of deformities, it's because of sin. And the Bible says the reason is that creation now is confused. All of the environmental stuff that we struggle with throughout the world is the result of sin. Evil is present. And guess what? Creation knows it. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 22. All of creation groans with what? With pain. You see, creation even knows. It knows that things aren't right. Folks, when you and I have a disease, it's called dis-ease, discomfort. When it goes out of whack, guess what? We groan, don't we? Why? Because we know it's not right. And the reason why this world that we live in isn't right is because it's confused. There are natural implications. There are disasters and there are deformities. Secondly, there are physical implications. There is decay and there is death. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Our physical body is becoming older and weaker. And to prove that, just look at me. Folks, I used to be number one on the charts, a hunk, a hunk of burning love. <laughs> now that I'm having some medical treatments, guess what? I've slipped down to number two now. <laughs> I don't know who's number one, but I'm after him, okay? And if you don't believe what you see here, look at yourself in the mirror, okay? We're all going downhill, okay? Now, not only do we have decay within our bodies, but folks, I hate to mention this, but we also have death. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man. You see, the reason why God allowed death, when Adam blew it and then that has just been carried on, is because God doesn't want any of us to hang around an imperfect planet. I'll tell you this, you you wanna know what hell is? It's living on an imperfect planet for eternity. I don't know anyone who would really want that. God says, I don't want it for you. I've never designed you for for imperfection. I've designed you for perfection. I've designed a place for you to be that's perfect. It's called heaven. And one day, you wanna know something? I'm gonna shut this place down. I'm going to shut it down, and I'm going to take you home to be with me. Romans 8, 21 says this, All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Folks, even this world is looking forward to that day. And so we have natural implications. We have uh, physical implications. Uh, implications. We also have emotional implications. We have distress and disappointment. You see, why is it that we get so stressed out and disappointed with this world that we live in? It's because it's broken. It's because there's evil in it, and the result of it is stress. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, 
But most things don't live up to their hype, do they? Let me ask you right now, just a show of hands. How many of you were disappointed in your high school prom? Can you remember that far back? Yeah. How many of you paid 20 bucks to go to a movie and you heard it was really good and then when you saw it, you were disappointed? How many of you went on this this vacation? I mean, this was the best of the best of the best vacations and when you got there, didn't pan out. Job talked about this. Take a look at Job 6, 629. They are distressed because they had been confident. They arrived there only to be disappointed. You see, life just disappoints it, doesn't it? Now, if you're a perfectionist, guess what? You live with disappointment all the time, don't you? And you do so because you and I, you and I, as perfectionists, and we're all at some level of per- perfection uh, or a scale of perfectionism within us, okay? But we, we experience this because we live in a broken world. And so what we must do as perfectionists who expect everything just to work just right is that we have to learn how to deal with disappointment, not only with things and other people, but mostly, I say this, with ourselves because we're all fallen, aren't we? As life goes on, we begin to see that more clearly. We begin to see, you know what? I'm not as hot as I think I am. I've been kind of recognizing that lately. Now, do you want to know what that's called? That's called a midlife crisis. And Paul was there. In Romans 7, he said this, I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it but I can't do it. And so we've got to stop living in denial about things, about others, but mostly about ourselves. We need a sane estimate of who we really are. Now this next implication is absolutely huge, okay? And it's relational. Relational distance and discord. You see, Not only did Adam and Eve, when they sinned and evil entered into this world, get disconnected from God, but folks, they got disconnected from one another. All the relational problems that you and I experience in life with our friends, with our families, in our marriages is the result really of one word, sin. I want what I want and you want what you want. And when both of us get into the room wanting I want what I want and you want what you want, boom, sparks fly. And so when it comes to relational relationships, if we're going to experience the good life and we're going to have it and possess it, guess what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to grow up because if we don't grow up, we're going to grow apart. If we don't grow up and begin thinking of other people as more important than ourselves, then you know what? We're going to grow apart. And yet what people have done over the years is they've come up with a word to kind of ease, I don't know, their conscience or whatever. And they says, well, we're just incompatible. There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney, okay? <laughs> Incompatibility is nothing more than a word to, to, be, to make up for our immaturity. If people would both grow up and give up, there would be more relational bliss everywhere in our world. You see, Adam and Eve, they had this innocent intimacy because they had everything going for them. 
They lived in a perfect environment. There was no mother-in-laws or father-in-laws around. You know, I mean, it was just perfect, okay? But then sin entered the world and it ruined everything. And where there was intimate intimacy, there became fear and distrust and shame and hiding. Take a look at Genesis 3, 7. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? They strung fig leaves together to cover themselves. And men and women have been covering themselves ever since. Not just physically, but emotionally. How? Through defensiveness, through demanding, through uh, distance. You see, I want to ask you this in your relationships. I, I don't care whether it's marriage or friendships or whatever. What fig leaves are you wearing right now? What fig leaves are you wearing to mask what's really going on in you and in your relationships? You see, since Adam and Eve, men and women have been hiding with one another through excuses and accusations, accusing God, God, it's your fault, okay? You gave them, that. You, you gave her to me and excusing ourselves from any kind of accountability. And it's, and it's, and it's caused relational discord because sin makes us distant and defensive and it makes us demanding. Last implication is spiritual. Spiritual discontentment and darkness. You've heard me say this before because last week I made mention of this, that sin leaves a hole in our heart. Pascal said, uh, there is a God-shaped vacuum in each and every person that can only be filled up with God. Pascal got that from the forefather of our Christian faith, St. Augustine. He said it like this, Lord, you have made us for yourself and we are restless until our hearts find our rest in you. You see, until you and I really realize that we've been made by God and for God, we're going to feel a disconnect. We're going to feel a void. We're going to know that something needs to be filled in. Job felt that way. In Job chapter 6, verse 18, he says, I'm like a caravan lost in the desert searching for water. In essence, he's saying, you know what, I'm thirsty, but I really don't know what I'm thirsty for. Some of us are in that place today. I'm longing for something. There's something missing in my life. There's a void. I don't know what it is. Can I tell you in one word what it is? It's God. You see, when you and I get disconnected from God, the source of light, it not only leads to this emptiness that we feel, but folks, it leads to spiritual darkness, which means that you and I don't know where we are or where we're going. Which means that we are going to run into things in the dark and we're going to hurt God, hurt others, but mostly we're going to hurt ourselves. And the Bible talks about this. Take a look at uh, Ephesians 4, verse 18. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. And so we're confused. We don't know what's real. We're purposeless. We run into this and we run into that. And in the process, we get damaged and we hurt other people. Now, friends, what we just discussed is not pretty at all. In fact, I don't even like it, okay? I don't even like to think about it. I like to be personal, practical, and positive. 
but it's the result of sin and evil entering into the world by it. This world is a broken world, and the implications are multifaceted. There are implications nat with nature, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. And it shouldn't be any wonder at all that the further we move away from truth, the further our society moves away from truth, the more we see an epidemic of depression and hopelessness. And we see that in our world, don't we? It's mounting. Folks, I'd be depressed too if I thought all that there is is all that there is. It's not. There is good news. The question is this. How do you and I live up in a down world? I don't know if you're down, okay? But the more I see, I go, Lord, it's this and it's that. And, oh, gee, Jesus, please. How do you live up in a down world? Well, you've got to do what Jeremiah did. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking that Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> Three Dog Night, remember that song? Jeremiah was a bullfrog, such a good friend of mine. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog, okay? Jeremiah was a prophet. And he wrote two books, the book of Jeremiah after himself and the book of Lamentations. And Jeremiah gives us the answer in, Jer in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 out of, the, out of the message. Let me read this. I cannot find peace or remember happiness. Let's just stop there. When was the last time that you really felt peace? That you really were happy? I'm going to do a series in Christmas. We'll call it Peace on Earth. And we're going to address how to have peace culturally. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to talk about the cross. We're going to talk about prayer. And we're going to talk about sharing our stories with other people to start a, 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 a ground swell or a, a movement on the ground to change our culture. So Jeremiah says, I cannot find peace or remember happiness. Just thinking of my troubles and my lonely wanderings makes me miserable. It's all I ever think about, and I'm depressed. Then, here's the answer, then I remembered something that fills me with hope. We need hope. The Lord's kindness never fails. If he, God, had not been merciful, we would have been destroyed. The Lord can always be trusted to show mercy each morning. So deep in my heart, I say, Lord, you are all that I need. I can depend on you. Folks, we need hope to cope in our personal lives so that we can have the good life. We need hope in our culture, in our society. And that hope doesn't come from cash. It doesn't come from the consumer index. It doesn't come from capitalism. It comes from Christ. I want you to listen to Gene Cooper's story and how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that has power to change, the good news that has the ability to create freedom in our life, changed her as a result of a person sharing their story with her. Take a look at this. So I'm 
originally from Saskatchewan, Canada. I grew up on a farm, no running water, no central heat. Um, we worked out on the farm and I very much was raised to be a people pleaser, not a God pleaser. So you do what the people in your life want you to do when you're a people pleaser. And that's not always the best thing for you. So I rebelled against that and uh, went off to college and um, went crazy, went wild. One of those kids that's kind of pretty much wasted their college year. At the end of my college year, I was engaged to somebody that I had met only three months before. Um, kind of was kind of like the first guy that came along that said, I love you. So I was in a, an abusive marriage for eight years. Uh, started out even before we got married. Um, he talked me into having sex before marriage and I got pregnant. And because I was so fearful of what my dad and my family would think, I had an abortion. So, and it was hard eight years. Towards the end, he had put a gun to my head twice. I got to the end of my rope. Basically, I like to describe it as, I got so far down in the rut that I was in that the only place I could look was up. And that's when God said, here I am. I'm, I'm your answer. Eventually, got out of that marriage. My sport, my fun, was skydiving. And that's what I did. And um, there was this one guy I would see every Saturday that I'd go skydiving, him and another gal, and we'd all go get together and go up on a jump and do a jump together. And um, one day, it was a super duper hot day. The other girl didn't show up. And so um, this guy, his name is Nicholas, he said, you know, I gotta go, I gotta go to school. I'm going to school at the community college. I need to leave too. Do you wanna go and have a drink just before we leave? The next week I went out there and I had a very slow opening parachute and it scared me to death. So we, uh, Nicholas and I were talking about that. He actually came over, he's like, he saw me shaking. He put his arm around me and He's, he, you know, he talked to me, he comforted me in that, you know, okay, you're okay. You, there's a reason why nothing happened to you. And what I didn't know was he had just given his life to Christ. He told me that Christ forgives everything that you've ever done and ever will do. Anyway, we dated, um, and then we did get engaged, and then we went to a premarital counselor and that's when I, I gave my life to Christ then. And the fact that I'm married to a man who also, Christ is his Lord and Savior, and that's who, that's where he gets his truth from and his plumb line from, I can follow that. My life's completely changed since I accepted him because he's forgiven me for defying my parents, failing out of college, having an abortion, marrying what turned out to be an abusive man. Um, just, it was a mess. I can't believe that God redeemed all of that. He, he took it and he completely turned it 180 degrees. Isn't that a great story? Absolutely.
God likes to recycle the trash that we make into something for his glory and our good to have the good life. And it doesn't come through cash. It doesn't come through the consumer index. It doesn't come through just getting a better job or finding a different person. It comes through Christ. And it comes where we get to a point, like Gene said, we're at the bottom and we look up and we say, Lord, you are all that I need. I don't know where you're at, but you need Christ. I know as I think of my own life, I think of all the things that I did during my college days, okay? And I think, God, why didn't you just snuff me out like that? When I chose to just do my own thing as often as I wanted to do it, with whom I wanted to do it, why didn't you just kind of snuff me out? Well, see, there are three reasons why God is long-suffering. Three reasons why God shows patience towards you and me. And the first one is this, it's to give us a choice. Even though it hurts him when we turn our back and just say, hey, you know, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do whatever I want. He gives us a choice. Take a look at Deuteronomy 30. I've mentioned this before, where God addresses this new nation, and he says, you can either choose life or death. You can either choose blessings or curses. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 30. Today, I'm giving you a choice between good and evil and between life and death. You see, the point is this, that God made you in his image, meaning that he is giving you the ability to choose. He did not give animals that ability. He gave them instinct. They operate off of instinct. But you and I operate off of a free will, meaning that we have a conscience where we can choose between right and we can choose between wrong. And he did so because he loved us. You see, real love it has, it has nothing to do with being a robot. Folks, real love has everything to do with the choice. You can't say that you really love someone unless you have a choice not to love them. And so real love, there are, there's no such thing as real love without a choice. And so God came along and says, I'm going to give you the ability to choose. Choose to love me or choose to reject me. Choose to love me by following the truths that really are for your life because I've designed you. I know how you work. Or you can choose to reject me. Now, folks, that's good news that you and I aren't robots, that we have the freedom to choose. But the bad news is this, that whatever we choose, we have to live with the consequences of it. I can choose to do whatever I want, okay? And that's good news. But the bad news is that I'm not free to choose the consequences. I'm free to take drugs. I'm free to cheat on my wife. I'm free to be abusive. I'm free to, uh, you know, lie and cheat. But I am not free to choose the consequences of those actions. You see, the Bible says that there will be consequences for what you and I choose willfully to do. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17. In due season, God will judge everything man does, both good and bad. There will be a day of reckoning where God is going to hold you and I account, uh, to account for the things that we've chosen to do. 
The second reason is to show us our need of a Savior. And what I mean by that is simply this, that, that, that as time goes on and the world gets filled up with more and more the consequences of, of what we have chosen to do, we begin to realize that we need a Savior. And like Gene said, sometimes that happens only when we get on the flat of our back and all we can do is look up. You see, sometimes God loves you and I so much that he allows those things to come in because he wants you and I to have a relationship with him. Now think about this for a moment. Without God in your life, in my life, you know what would happen? We would begin to live like subhuman beings. We would live just on our feelings and without a conscience. And do you know what I just described right there? Is a dog or an animal. Animals don't have consciences. They do whatever they feel like doing. And if they want to sniff you in a certain place and lick you in a certain place, guess what? They don't care what you think. Folks, when people say, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do as I feel like doing. Do you realize that that person is acting like an animal? God has given you and I a conscience, and he says, you can choose. You can choose between right or wrong. You can choose between truth, or you can choose to live the lie. But you are not free to choose the consequences. Take a look at this verse out of Ecclesiastes 3, 18. God allows people to continue in their sinful ways so that he can test them. That way they can see for themselves that they are no better than animals. Folks, without God in our life, we would degenerate and act like animals. And what we need is a Savior. And yet we don't think that way, do we? I know what's best for my life. I'm the master of my destiny, okay? And as a result, we live with broken hearts and broken dreams and broken families and broken marriages and broken promises and broken bodies. And all God says is, you need a Savior. I'm giving you the ability to, 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 to choose and I'm giving you time to see that you need a relationship with me. The third reason why he holds off is to demonstrate his grace. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't being slow about his promise to return. As some people think, no, he is, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent. The reason that God puts up with all the grief in my life and in this world is that he is being patient towards me. He's being patient towards us so that he can show us grace. Because God knows this, that once the door of the ark is shut and it begins to rain, it's not gonna be over with in 15 minutes. Let me put it in New Testament terms. Once Jesus comes back or you and I die, it's over. And God says, I'm waiting. I made you to love you. 
And I'm bringing things into your life to help you see that you need a savior. Now let me tell you how this plays out as you work in the world, as you go to the mall and you talk to people about God. You see, some people will come up and say, well, you know what, I don't believe in a God who allows all this suffering to go on in this world, that allows women to be raped, that allows wars to, to happen and take innocent people's lives, who allow police officers to, to shoot innocent people. When I hear those things, I, I, I calmly just say, you know what, I don't believe in that kind of God either. In fact, I believe God isn't that way at all. In fact, God is hurt when he sees all the evil and the implications from it in our world. And I believe that one day God's going to stop it. One day he's going to call into account everyone who, who has done evil. And he's, and he's going to give those who have placed their faith in him a perfect place for where, where they can live. And God is giving you and I time to come into a relationship with him like that. God is in control, and yes, there is evil, but God is in control, and he's waiting to show you grace. So how should you and I respond? Well, I've got four things in your outline. Don't miss next week as we talk about more of the solution and we share the Lord's Supper together. But there are four things, and the first one is this, that we receive God's grace on a daily basis. If you haven't received God's grace, if you haven't dropped him from your head to your heart, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe right now you're looking at your world called a car, and the four wheels are about ready to fall off. God's saying, receive my grace. Secondly, remember that this place is temporary. This is not heaven. This is earth. Thirdly, reject man-made solutions. Turn from the world to the word. And then finally, and this is the one that I want to amplify a little bit, is reach out with God's love. Folks, where would Gene Cooper have been if Nicholas hadn't shared his story with her? Where would your kids be if you don't share your story with them on how you came to know Christ? Where would your neighbor, folks, our community is changing. Where would your neighbors be if you didn't share your story about Jesus with them? You see, I believe that God has called each and every one of us just to be authentic, to be real, to say, you know what, I'm a Jesus follower. I love Jesus, and he has given me hope. Maybe you need hope, and you just share your story. You invite him to church. If you know people that aren't there, invite them, especially next week. Invite families. Hey, they're, have, they're rocking out this Sunday over there in, in Children's Church. Invite them individually, corporately, Two years ago, we did a campaign, a capital campaign called Beyond Our Walls, where we raised over $2 million to reach our community for Jesus. Right now, what's been done, there's a number of things been done, but a big one has been our, our children's or our student building 
It's the state of the art, and students are inviting their friends, and students are getting saved over there. You, last couple of Sundays ago, you saw a number of different students who got baptized. That was one. The big one that we're working towards now is our Connection Center. You see, one of the greatest tools of evangelism is just hospitality. When you're hospitable and you invite people, that's, that's evangelism 101. It's easy. It's, it, it, it scores big time. And we want to build a connection center where we, yes, we'll do things in the building ourselves as a spiritual family, but it'll be a place where we can invite families maybe to host a bridal shower or a baby shower or to have maybe speakers come in in a kind of intimate, state-of-the-art type place where they can receive information that maybe they haven't ever thought of before. So what I want to do is this. In your bulletins, you can pull out this little thing. Just as a reminder, for some of us two years ago, you pledged, hey, and you've given, thank you. Your money is going to work, okay? If you haven't, if you're new, if this is something new, would you just pray about living our lives beyond our walls so that we can make an eternal difference in people's lives, like Gene. Maybe you're giving and you're right on target. Bonus, okay? Maybe you can accelerate that. We would like to start construction this coming spring so that it's done during the summer and we're done with that. Will you just pray about this? Because God has called us to reach out and to be difference makers in our world. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you. I thank you that you have made me who I am, that you have given me the ability to choose and that you in your grace and in your favor have broken into my world when I was blind as a bat. When I didn't want to hear what I knew I needed to hear, you made a breakthrough. You woke me up. You helped me to see your grace, your favor through your son, Jesus Christ, that I might have hope, that I might have healing, that I might have health in my life, in my in my world, God. And I thank you for that. Maybe today, as you look at your life, you see the wheels are about ready to fall off. Today, will you cry out to God and say, God, you're, you're what I need. By admitting that you've blown it. Just say, God, I admit I've blown it, God. I've hurt you, I've hurt others, and I've hurt myself. But I believe that you loved me so much that you came, you lived a perfect life, you died on the cross, that you were buried, but you resurrected from the grave that I might have life, that I might have hope. And so right now, God, I say yes to you. I choose with my will to say yes to Jesus Christ. If you prayed that prayer in whatever way that you did from the sincerity of your heart, God heard you. Would you allow us to enter in? 
by you just filling out a communications card and writing your name, maybe an email address, writing the letter A on it and circling it, saying, I've accepted Jesus for the first time, where we can email you, we can mail you some literature that will help you understand what you've just done. And for the rest of us, maybe, maybe you did that 20 years ago. God has a story in you that he wants you to share. He wants you to be a difference maker. Today, will you just, in the quietness of your heart, just say, God, help me to be an inviter. Help me to just share my story. God, I want to make a difference in this world. God, we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.